Today's reading is from Luke 2, 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Dear Lord, to you let us sing the beautiful songs of this holiday season and remember the joy of the human story that draws us in, that draws us in, excuse me, with God's promise of hope, grace, and love. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Jill. Well, good morning. <clears throat> Good morning. Merry Christmas. A little early. Merry Christmas. Um, or if you're a Harry Potter fan, happy Christmas. Um, that's how they say it over there, I guess. I don't know. My name is Fred. I get to uh, be the lead pastor here, and I am so glad we get to be together. I personally am very glad to be here. I've been on sabbatical the last three weeks, and, and even though it's only been three weeks, I just want to tell you all, like, I missed you all. I miss gathering together with worship for y'all. Y'all are not only friends, in many cases y'all feel more like family, and I just want you to know I miss y'all. I enjoy being here. I hope it's at least somewhat mutual. Um, uh, here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, let, let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted something and it's just been out of reach? Right, like, like maybe you know, since it's the holiday season, maybe there was a Christmas gift that you really wanted, right? And Christmas came and went, and the gift never showed up, right? Maybe it's a goal that you have had for a very long time, and it keeps being just out of reach, right? Right? Have you ever had to wait on something, like really? wait on something, like painfully wait on something, right? And I don't mean just like a long line at Walmart wait, right? I mean, like for the self-check too, let's be, let's be clear. You're going to do the work and you still have to wait in line. I don't mean that, right? I mean like, like long wait for something, Days, weeks, maybe years with no resolve. Are any of you there right now where you're waiting on something? This Advent season is all about waiting, right? That's, that's why we pause what we're doing at Christmas is to remember that waiting not only is a part of the human condition, but waiting is a part of our spirituality. Waiting is actually one of the distinctions that makes us Christian. Because, because this Advent season is a season where we remember that there was a whole lot of people before us a whole long time ago that waited for their Messiah to come. 
and he came. And now we wait for him to come again. And this Advent season is a season where we wait. And it's a season, it's a season where, where, where we accept these areas of waiting in our life as an actual pathway to have communion with God. It is a way to wait and still experience joy. It's a way to wait and still experience fullness of life, to experience abundance of life because we have a God who is present with us. This is what Advent is about. And I think we all have areas in our lives where we are waiting for God to do something, where we are waiting for God to show up, where we are waiting for God to be true to the God we know him to be. And what I hope happens as we work our way through this text today is we realize that that waiting, as frustrating as it is, as disappointing as it is, it is still an opportunity to be with Jesus. It is still an opportunity to commune with a God who loves us and who created us. And so with that, we're going to be in Psalm 110 today as we've been going through this, this series of, of, of psalms that look forward to the coming Messiah so we can see and understand who this Jesus is that was born in a manger. And if you're in this, this period of waiting, if you have dreams that are unfulfilled, if you have longings that are unsatisfied, if you have these holy desires that are unmet, here's what I hope we can leave here today is with more hope in that Jesus that was born in a manger. More hope in the reality of Jesus and more direction on what to do when we are waiting. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Psalm 110. Like I said, we're in this series called Meeting the Messiah, right? And, and we're trekking through these psalms uh, for Christmas, kind of a unique idea on how to, how to enjoy and, and connect with God during this Advent season. And, and, and we're seeing, like, who was this Messiah that they were waiting for? Who was this baby born in a manger? And these psalms were written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And so hundreds and hundreds of years, people were waiting, looking for this coming Messiah. And, and the, what we're going to do today is we're going to see two aspects that they were waiting for. They were waiting for Jesus as a priest and as a king, which is a very unique title to be put together on one person, as we will see. But because this baby born in a manger was a priest and a king, it's why the wise men would come and worship him and why at his birth, Rome would fear him because he was priest and he was king, right? And the psalm, this psalm breaks down for those of you who like alliteration and those of you who like outlines, I have got a Christmas gift for you because the sermon breaks down in two parts, which is an alliteration and an outline, right? And I'm gonna put it up on the screen. Actually, John's gonna put it up on the screen. It's this. Verse 1 through 3, you can put the words position. And verse 4 through 7, you can put the word promise, right? Because here's what we're going to see. We're going to see David, who wrote this psalm, look ahead to the one that is coming and to the only one who has filled this position of priest and king for the nation of Israel. And then we're going to see a promise that's embedded in this, in this passage, right, from God concerning this priest and this king. And then we'll see how this specific position and promise applies to us as well. And so with that, let's look at verse 1, right? This is a psalm of David. And verse 1 says this. 
It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Right? So, so David, what's happening here is David is, 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 is going to quote something. Right? If you look at your Bible, do you notice the quotes around this? Right? David is looking into this holy throne room and he's hearing this conversation go on. Right? And it begins with the Lord. Right? Now, if you look at that, if you have it in front of you, you'll see the word Lord. There's something unique about it from all the other words, right? Do you see what's unique about it? It's all capitalized, right? It's L-O-R-D, and all of them are all caps. Here's what this means, right? Whenever you see all capitals like this and the word Lord written out that way, it means that the writer is referring to a very specific name of God. One that in the original Hebrew, they didn't even write out fully, but it's the name Yahweh. It means, it means that, that, that what is happening here is that Yahweh is talking, that God is talking. The steadfast, loving God of Israel is saying something, and David wanted to capture it, and he put it in quotation marks. And so we see that God, right, that Yahweh says to my Lord, now, Look at your lords, right? You have one lord that's all caps. What's the other one? It's like, it's like regular, right? You have, a, you have an uppercase and then you've got three L-O-R-D or in lowercase. Here's, here's what that means, right? We see the word lord. Who is this person? Like who is God talking to? David is looking into this holy throne room and he sees God talking to someone. And it's someone that David says is my Lord. And so we know David's not saying God is talking to me to tell me these things. I am watching God say something to somebody, right? That the Lord says to my Lord, right? When David wrote this psalm, he's not going to call himself my Lord. He is referring to somebody else, right? Luckily, we have the New Testament because Jesus tells us who David sees. And, and you don't have to turn there. You can, but it's Mark 12. I want to show you something. In Mark chapter 12... Verses uh, 35 through 37, listen to this. It says, And Jesus taught in the temple, and he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great, thong, the, the great throng heard him gladly. Because, you see, there was this idea that David must be talking about himself. Right? David is, is this royal king that brought peace on the nation of Israel. So certainly when David looked into that throne room, he saw God talking to himself. If not himself, he saw God talking to his lineage that was going to rule over Israel. And Jesus goes, how, how could David do that? He's talking to someone beyond himself. You see, according to Jesus, David is talking about this coming Messiah. And what does it say back in Psalm 110? Notice the Messiah's position. What does the Lord, all caps, say to my Lord? What is the next phrase? Sit at my right hand. And so his position is seating. So 
So what David is doing is he's, he's looking into this throne room and he sees Yahweh, he sees God say to the Messiah, say to Jesus, hey, have a seat. Sit in my right hand. Do you know why? Because David is seeing a time when the Messiah's work is done. David is seeing a time post the resurrection where the Messiah is back reunited with the Father and Jesus can now sit down because his work is done. The Messiah's work is done, right? And then, but there's still work going on. So this position, so if you want to fill in the outline, the position is the work is finished. Jesus is sitting down. That's the position. The Messiah's work is finished, right? But there is still work going on because what, is, what does God say? I will do what? I will make your enemies a footstool. So even though Jesus' work is done, there is still work going on. Remember, this is David looking into this, into this throne room. Look at verse 2. It says, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning to the dew of your youth, the dew of your youth will be yours. Now, keep in mind, this is very poetic language. Right? This is a song, after all. That's what psalms are. And so David takes this scene that he saw, and, and he's telling us what's going on here. What's the big picture here, right? In verse 2, in verse two God says that, the, the, that he is going to be expanding the kingdom, right? The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. It means that, that this kingdom is going to spread beyond Jerusalem. Right? Look at these words, send forth and rule. Right? These are kingdom words, kingdom language. That this kingdom, now that the Messiah's work is done and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, the kingdom that we know Jesus talked about all the time with people, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is, is near. Right? That this kingdom is now going to start spreading beyond Bethlehem, beyond Israel. And in verse 3, not only is God expanding the kingdom, he's going to be gathering a people into that kingdom. Because here's what's interesting, you know, like typically, like if you read, if you read like literature from like, like kingdoms, where kingdoms exist, kingdoms are about land, right? When you talk about expanding the kingdom, you talk about expanding borders, right? When, when Rome conquered the known world, it was about expanding borders. And they expanded borders really, really far. But when God talks about kingdom, he's talking about people. That I will gather a people to us, to Jesus, from all over the world. Right? This kingdom language isn't about land, right? If, you're, if it was about land, like, and we're used to that. Like when we pay taxes on our property, we pay them to who? The people? Uh, no. We sure don't, right? We pay them to the state. We pay them to the county. Like we pay it to the government, right? That's kingdom. That's kingdom. But God's kingdom is about people. It's not about a place, right? And look at these people in, the, in this passage. They're willing on the day of power that these people offer themselves in the service to the king. They have these holy garments that these people aren't just willing to serve the king, but these people that have been gathered together, these people are covered in holiness from God. That they have been transformed by God. 
that they are wearing these, these holy garments. And so we have a Messiah who's, whose work is complete, right? That's his position. We have a God who is still at work expanding the kingdom and drawing people into it. And these people have been made holy by this God. People from every walk of life, from every culture, from every, from every country, from every status level, these people are being drawn together and made holy. And these people see their act of worship as serving this king and serving this kingdom. And so what is our position based on the position of Jesus? What is our position? Is that as followers of Jesus, our position is holy because of the work of Jesus. Like, like y'all, we are the ones covered in these holy garments. We are the ones that David is speaking about because, because we are the ones who's, who's, who are living after the work of Christ as God is expanding the kingdom and drawing people in. We are the ones who are covered in these holy garments so we can serve this king and we can willingly follow him. And that is our position because of this baby born in a manger. We are a holy people. Now, let's let that sink in for just a second. Because how many of you feel holy? I don't. Y'all, I'm going to be talking about this for a while because I don't know if you follow us on social media, but we just had a trip. Right? We did. We went to Greece and Turkey, and let me tell you, my wife has a travel agency, which I get to enjoy the perks of, and this was a luxury cruise ship we were on. We had a butler whose name was Jeremy. A butler. Did y'all hear me? We had a butler. I don't deserve a butler. I told him, I don't even know how to have a butler. I said, I've had kids, I'm the butler. Right? Like, I don't know how to be butlerized. Right? Like, I just know how to butler. And, 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 and like, I... I it was, it was so amazing, so, like, y'all, seriously, to be in the places where Paul walked, mind-blowing. Let's go. We can't afford the ship we were on, but let's go. We can, there's other ways, but let's go. But, but to be in that place, I did not feel at home, right? And I say that to say, when I read this, and it says that I am covered in holy garments, that I am holy. It kind of feels like I'm on that cruise ship again where I don't feel at home in that. Like, like there's something in that that doesn't feel true because I know my heart. I know my soul. I know what I do. And it doesn't all fall under the, uh, the, the category of holy, right? And yet, God calls us holy. Like, that is our position. And I just wonder, if we believed that, would that change how we treat each other? Would that change how we, how we, how we treat our, our partners, our spouses? Would that change how we, how we see ourselves in the mirror? Because, y'all, this is what God declares, that we are holy because of this baby born in a manger. Let's move on to verse four and we'll see the promise. It said, the Lord has sworn 
and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You notice again there's quotes here. Like, like David is telling us what's going on. And here we see the word Lord again in caps. And we see this promise that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Right? And here's what's interesting. So, so we have the Lord talking to my Lord again. We have, we have God talking to Jesus to the Messiah saying, hey, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, here's what's interesting. In the nation of Israel, priests didn't come from Melchizedek. Priests came from one tribe, and uh, that was the tribe of Levi. And so what David is seeing, referred to here, what God is saying to the Messiah is there is this unique line of priest that Jesus comes from. And to see that, we get to go to Genesis. In Genesis 14, I'll read it. You could, you're welcome to turn there. But in Genesis 14, we're going to see this guy named Melchizedek, right? And what I want you to do as I read this is I want you to listen for his titles, right? Listen, listen for his titles, all right, verse 14, we're going to be in verse 17 through 20. Verse 17, it says, After his return from the defeat of however in the world you say that, uh, and the kings who were with them, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him. Now, the him that he's talking to is Abraham, right? And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. All right, so did you see what this guy, Melchizedek, did you see his titles? What were they? He was the king of Salem. And he was the priest of the God most high. He was both king and priest. And that didn't exist in Israel, right? There was no Levi, there was no one from the tribe of Levi who was both king and priest. A priest was a priest and a king was a king. And this promise is that the Messiah would be both priest and king. And so that's the promise, that Jesus is both priest and king. Like I said, it's why the Magi would come and worship him and it's why Rome would fear him because there was a new king in town. And here's the deal, like a king's job is to rule the land and to, and to keep the peace and to make sure that people are experiencing peace and to keep enemies away. That is a king's job. And a priest, their job is to stand between God and the people and to represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. That was their job. And in Jesus, you get both of these, right? The Messiah, this, this baby born in a manger, would do both of these things. They would, it would, he would be the one to bring peace to people. He would bring the one to defeat the enemy, to steal that peace. And he would be the one to represent the people to God and God to the people. And this baby born in a manger was to give us peace, like a king, to protect that peace like a king, and to represent us to God like a priest. And if we can, dive deep here just real quick, because I want to show you something really cool. In the nation of Israel, 
Like I said, a king was a king and a priest was a priest. The two didn't mix. As a matter of fact, a bit of history here. Like I said, it's David that writes this psalm. Under his rule, Israel experiences this great amount of peace and stability. Well, if you fast forward a little bit, you have David's son, who is Solomon, Right? And he ruled after David's death. And under his rule, the, 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 the kingdom split into, into two kingdoms. And it really entered kind of this dark history of the nation of Israel until eventually they were captured by foreign nations and kicked out of their own land. And then, and then after a time, they were able to come back into their land, the nation of Israel did. And when they came back into the land, they got to rebuild the temple. And as they rebuilt the temple, there were prophets there and, and priests there. And they got, to, they got to kind of like rededicate the temple and they did kind of these cool ceremonies to do that, right? And in Zechariah chapter 6, there was this, 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 this scene that unfolds that shows that they're still waiting for their priest and their king. Because, and this gets a little wordy, so I'm just going to read it. Um, you can turn there if you want. It's Zechariah, um, uh, what is it? Zechariah chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. Um, oh, my. Lots of prophets, lots of prophets. There we go. Zechariah 6, 9 through 14. Okay, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me. So this is, this is Zechariah talking. The word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles of Hilda, Tobiah, and Jedidiah, who have arrived from Babylon, so that's them coming back, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, and take from them silver and gold and make a crown. So they're making a crown. Because what does a crown represent? A king, right? And set it on the head of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So what do we have? We have a priest with what on his head? A crown, all right? So we have this picture of a priest and a king. And say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on, on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of the priest shall be between them both, king and priest. And, and the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam and, and Tobiah and Jedidiah and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. Of, of Zephaniah. And so what this, what this shows is that there was this ceremony that they did where the high priest stood up and they put a crown on his head and said, y'all, this is coming, but it ain't, it's not him. But to help us remember that this is coming, we're going to take this crown and we're going to leave it sitting here in the temple. And so we know one day there will be a person who will be both priest and king. And he will be here. And every time they came into the temple, they saw that crown sitting there as a reminder that a king is coming who will not just be king. Because that's very Lord of the Rings, isn't it? An empty crown just waiting to be put on by somebody and to rule and kill all the people. That works great in Lord of the Rings, not in the kingdom of God. Because this king will also be a priest. And so the whole nation worshipped, waiting for the day that someone would put that crown on. Now back to Psalm 110. Isn't that fun? A little deep dive, just, just for kicks. All right. Psalm, uh, Psalm 110 verse 5 says this. The Lord is at your right hand, and he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. 
Okay, that's a little Lord of the Ringish. Um, and and will we'll shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, and therefore he will lift up his head. And what we see here is now David is looking to this Messiah whose work is done. The kingdom has expanded, but there's one thing still coming. And that is the book of Revelation. There is a final judgment coming where all things will be made right. Where that Messiah will come back and everything that's wrong in this world, every holy longing that has been waited for will be fulfilled. And in that day, there will be a kingdom of peace. Right? Now, in the story of David's life, this waiting and this idea of waiting was not unfamiliar to him. He knew what it was like to wait. When, when he was just a kid, right? So when David was just a kid, he was anointed king. But I think it was like 17 years before he stepped into that throne. And, and, and the guy who was king, Saul, who, by the way, tried to be priest and king, and it didn't go so well for him. As a matter of fact, the kingdom was taken away from him, but he held on to it with power because he didn't want to let the power go. Didn't that sound like American politics? Right? And yet David was anointed king and had to wait, right? And here in this manger, we have a king that has been anointed. We have Jesus is our king, but yet his kingdom has not been fully identified yet. There are still people who don't know about our Jesus. There are still people that God is drawing into this kingdom. There are still those who claim to know Jesus but aren't willing to serve the king. And so God's work continues. The work of the Holy Spirit continues. And we still wait for our king to rule fully. We still wait for this full peace of the kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong. We get to have times of peace, don't we? Like we get to sit in the living room and have a little fire going and just the lights from the Christmas tree and it's peaceful, right? For about three to five minutes. And that three to five minutes is a gift. It's a taste of a coming kingdom. That peace that we feel and get to experience is a taste. Well, let me give you some questions to consider as we continue in this Advent season from David's life. As you wait, let me ask you this. What role does fear play in your life right now as you wait? Here's what I mean. Because fear will steal your peace like nothing else. I mean, it'll rob peace blind. Fear will. From the very beginning, we see that David would walk by trust and faith in the God whom he worshipped. Right? And he chose not to live in fear to the point where, I mean, we know the story. We know the story of David and Goliath where the nation was, was operating in fear. And David chose to operate in faith. And by God's grace, through that faith, he killed Goliath, right? Me personally, I continue to, to, to ask God to root fear out of me. Because it's so normal. Right? It's so common. It's so, so every day to be afraid. And I continually need this reminder that we have this immensely faithful God who won't let us down. Amen? Because I'm awfully fearful sometimes. 
As you wait, are you seeking God's direction from his word and his people, or are you trying to go it alone? Remember the people that, that God is gathering together to get, to, to, that God is gathering together for this kingdom are holy and willing to serve. And David often leaned on God and the community of faith around him. I can't count the number of times that David specifically asked God something and God, and God answered it. And, and, and he also asked God's people questions and they answered him. He had this friend named Nathan who was a prophet. It's probably hard to be a friend with a prophet, but, but he was. And there were times where Nathan had some really direct words for him. Right? The people of God surrounding us have really good words for us. I was recently having lunch with a friend of mine and telling him about some stuff I was wrestling with and, and working through. And it was interesting because I said, you know, I was, I was just kind of praying this morning and I told him what I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, but I wasn't sure. And he goes, Fred, I just want to tell you, those words were the exact words I was about to tell you. Yes, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And yes, you need to walk in it. That is what the people of God do for each other. So who are your people? Like, is it your growth group? Then, then let them be your encouragement as you wait. And then, and, then, and then one more thing. Is there a mistake that you've made? Is there a sin that you've committed and you need to make it right? Because let me tell you, ongoing sin right, destroys peace in your life. It destroys peace in the life of those around you. David was humble. When, when he sinned, he admitted it eventually, right? Like, like sometimes it took time, but he admitted it. But there was this one time in his life where Saul was king and David was anointed king. And, and it's this really like, it's a great story for like middle school because, because Saul goes into a cave where David is hiding. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know the story I'm talking about? And Saul, it says, is relieving himself. Right? And so what Saul did is he took his, his kingly robe and kind of threw it behind him because he was squatting. You know, and David was in the cave with him. And what David did is snuck up on him while this man was using the restroom and cut the corner of his kingly robe off. So that when Saul got up and walked out of the cave, he would realize that he could have been killed, he could have been attacked. And he knew that David had done it because they were looking for David. They knew he was in those caves. Well, David could have gloated over that. But David immediately said, this is wrong and this is sinful. Yeah, I'm anointed king, but you are the king and I don't treat you this way. And so he confessed his sin to the point where Saul could have killed him. Like like this wasn't just a, hey, I'm gonna shoot you a text. I'm so sorry. I totally didn't mean that. I don't know what came over me. You know, like this was, I'm going to stand before you and confess my sin to you. And you can kill me if you want. And Saul didn't. Like that's humility. And I think anything less than that destroys peace in our lives. Right? Our best offering is confession. James said, confess your sins one to another so that you can be what? Healed. 
You see, David understood this great need for a savior who was both king and priest, and he knew he was sinful. He knew he did wrong stuff, and he knew he had a Lord, all caps, right? He knew he had a Yahweh who was holy, and that he couldn't have this life-giving relationship with this holy God without being covered by the holy garments provided by the L-O-R-D, by my Lord, by the Messiah. David knew he needed a king and a priest. And maybe you're one of those people who you're on the outside of the kingdom and God is drawing you in. And I guarantee you, listen, if you are here today or you're watching this, God is drawing you in because there is no reason you should be here. If you, if, like, other than the Holy Spirit drawing you here. Right? Because what we do as Christians, there are a thousand other things you could be doing this morning. And yet you're choosing to be here because the Holy Spirit wants you here. And that is true whether you are a Jesus follower or whether you are curious about him. He wants you here. And if you are here, I can guarantee you this, that Jesus loves you and he gave his life so that you could have an abundant life with the God who loves you and the God who made you and the God who created you. That Jesus, my Lord, gave his life and was resurrected from the dead so that the Lord could show you everything that is true about himself and that you could live in peace and the fullness of life today. We all need this king and priest that was born in a manger. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus. Gosh, I, I do pray, Jesus, if, if, if there is confession that needs to happen, that that would happen today. That people wouldn't leave this place without confessing their sin one to another so that they could be healed. And, if, and, if, and Lord, that that just wouldn't, that that wouldn't be pushed off, that that wouldn't be taken lightly. They could turn to the person next to them. They can come and find me. Like whatever needs to happen, confess that sin so that you can be healed. And I pray if there are those who aren't part of the kingdom, that you would draw them in right now and they would say yes to this Jesus who loves them. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together. I'm gonna read some scripture for us and then we're gonna say a prayer of confession together. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living hope opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let's say this prayer together. Is there a slide before? Starts with most merciful God. Great. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.